You could take the words of that song and understand your pathway to discipleship a whole lot better. When you understand how holy God is and you seek Him and find Him and you are filled with Him and you go to those around you, that is a summation of what we are talking about in this series in Discipleship Paths. And I owe you a little bit of an apology. If you are on the back page of your program, you're a note taker. Um, I, I pulled a fast one. I completely changed the sermon uh, on Friday and Saturday. And so the scripture passage is a different one from, from the James passage. You can go back and read James. It's a great book. But we're not going to use those two verses today. Instead, God very clearly led back uh, to a, a passage from the Gospel of Matthew, which will be our, our focus today. I want to welcome you to this second of our series that we're calling Discipleship Paths. Last week, we looked at the priority of a disciple, which is to love Jesus. And today, we're going to be looking at the actions of a disciple. Now, when you start talking about the actions of a disciple, questions that should come to mind, which actions, what kinds of actions And my response to that is, exactly. That is exactly the kind of question we need to be asking ourselves, because our actions are based on our choices. They're based on our decision-making processes. These are all things you can go back and do studies on and look up online. You can do studies about decision-making and the will of God and how, how to make choices and all those kinds of things. Of course, when you talk about how to make decisions, you talk about how you're going to live your life as a Christ follower, there should be some awareness that that requires wisdom. And so then you go back and do a word study on wisdom and the verses about wisdom, and that's where I was going with the James verses, by the way, so you can, you can use those as part of your study. You should be studying the word during the week. And all of that leads to an issue of who you are becoming as a person, which has to do with your character, so you can study all of that. When we talk about the actions of a disciple, what I want you to clearly understand is that it's far more than a list of activities that good Christians do. When I grew up as a kid, we all used to turn in envelopes on Sunday morning, right? The offering envelopes. Some of us still use those fairly regularly. Some of you give online. I want to thank you for that. Some of you do in other different ways. But in those days, we often all had an envelope that on the front, in addition to the finances you were giving to the church, there was a little list of activities. Have you read your Bible daily this week? Have you studied your Sunday school lesson? And they were all little check boxes. Now, I understand the value of check boxes. We use them in a lot of different settings. They help us. But the problem that we can develop is that we tend to think that checking off those things, we have done what is needed to be good. We have done what is needed to be a good disciple, a good Christian, a good church member. So we want to move beyond this idea that there is a list of spiritual activities that can sum up the activities and actions of a disciple. I want us to pull back a little bit to a, a what they call the 30,000-foot view for a minute, right? Back up, and let's get a bigger picture for just a minute, a more general picture, before we focus in on lots of specifics. In particular, I, I want to talk about Jesus' invitation to action 
Because what you see in the New Testament is as Jesus begins his public ministry, right? Not the Christmas story, not the story of how he goes to the temple and teaches, but when you get to Jesus as an adult and he begins his public ministry, one of the first things he did was to call his 12 disciples. It was a simple call. You can see the stories again and again. Use any of the four Gospels that you would like. Jesus would issue an invitation. It sounded something like this, come, follow me. Simple, straightforward, action, come and follow me. That should remind us that being a disciple of Jesus still includes some very basic, simple things at the core, following Jesus. He gives that invitation. Now, let me just say to you today, boy, I I don't know that I've ever received that invitation. I don't know that everybody's, I don't know that I've ever felt God say to me, you're invited, come follow me. I've never been called like that. Nobody's ever, listen, let me say to you, yes, God has invited and God is inviting you today. He is inviting you to come follow Him. How do I know that with such certainty for everybody in this room? Is it because I'm a mind reader? No. It's because 1 Timothy 2.4 says God desires that every person should be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. This is a biblical witness. This is God's desire. God's preference was what God wants is that everyone here, everyone watching online, everyone who will ever hear this recording, that, that God would desire that every single one would make the choice to respond to his invitation, to act upon the invitation that he has put out there for everybody. My prayer today is that God's Spirit will indeed come upon you, be drawing you to himself, and that you would act on this invitation to come and follow Jesus. We often express it this way, When you say, who, me? God says, whosoever will may come. God, the Bible says, is knocking on the door. All we have to do is open the door and step out in faith to follow Him. And and just in case, just in case you're like so many of us in this room today, you are amazed and awed by the power and the love and the grace of God. And yet you struggle from time to time to believe that actually could be offered to you. You need to know that it is. It's offered to you freely, the Bible says. It is an act of grace. And I want to share with you this morning I'm just going to go right through a number of verses from the Bible. I want you to let them, the reason I'm going to go through them and go through them fast is I want them to build like a wave. I want you to feel like wave after wave is hitting you at the beach. This is the love and grace of God for everyone, for whosoever. And because I'm looking for that word whosoever, by the way, I'm going to be using the older version of the Bible. So that might surprise some of you, but I wanted you to be prepared for this. But it starts all the way back in the Old Testament with the prophet Joel. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord promised among the remnant called by the Lord. God calls people, and those who respond to him, everyone shall be saved. Here's another verse, Revelation 22, 17. And the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of God, and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. There is a stream. There is a fountain. It is an offer of life. Come, whosoever will, whosoever will. One of our favorite verses, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. No qualifications, no limit. Whosoever will may come. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the people and said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever, whosoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. You want life. It comes from Jesus. He says, John 12, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Acts 2, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be shaved, shall be saved. Romans 10, 9 through 13, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek for any, any breakdown. All diversity is welcome, he says. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And John 6, for it is my Father's will that everyone, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Whosoever will may come. How about you? Have you received the invitation? Have you accepted that? Have you responded to it? Now, I'm going to go one step further, and some of you got to prepare yourselves for this. Because the next thing I'm going to talk about in regards to this invitation is something a lot of people today don't want to talk about. Because it's very positive and wonderful to say, whosoever will may come. The invitation is wide open. But there's a negative piece of that that comes back. People don't want to talk about it. But it's when I ignore what happens, when I reject the invitation, if I don't accept the invitation from God, is there any cost to ignoring the call? And I want to be very clear here because people get this backwards all the time. The Bible says no one is excluded from the invitation. No one ever has been, no one ever will be from the invitation. God desires that everyone should be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Everybody, therefore, listen, is responsible for their response to the call. The Bible says they are without excuse. Sometimes well-meaning people who have really bad logic say, I just can't believe a really nice loving God would condemn people to hell. God doesn't condemn people to hell. People choose not to receive the call that he's invited them to receive and accept the free gift that he's offered. And so, listen, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about what you and I do with Jesus. 
Hear these verses, John 3, 18. Whoever, whosoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Matthew 10, excuse me, John 3, John 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains upon him. Matthew 10, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Mark 8, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Luke 12, 9, but whoever denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now, folks, listen. In the old days, we call that hellfire and damnation kind of, listen, that's, y'all know that's not where I'm coming. What I'm saying is the truth of God is the truth of God. An invitation is offered. You are always free to choose your actions. You are not always free to determine the consequences of your actions. And so God has put forward this invitation. These strong words that we've just heard are important. Why? Listen to me, friends, because there is an eternal difference between those who accept the invitation of Jesus and those who reject it and deny him. That's why the first action of a disciple is to respond affirmatively to the invitation to follow Jesus. It's simple. It's a one-person, one-by-one kind of deal, but it's a huge, huge, huge step. And it's all about eternity. My question to you has, have you ever made that decision? Have you ever responded affirmatively to the invitation that God has extended to you? Because if not, my, my plea with you is what Paul and others said again, accept what the Lord has said, hear the word of the Lord. Let today be the day of your salvation. Jesus says, come, follow me. Respond affirmatively. But in this passage for today, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30 is really where we're focusing in. Jesus goes beyond just, come, follow me. Here he says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. And, and I want to say to you, that I think surprisingly, the second action of a disciple is to rest. Now, rest isn't usually the first word that jumps to your mind when you start making a list of actions. I mean, it might be somewhere down the line, but I mean, even when God created the world, rest was on the seventh day, right? But here he says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. And Jesus knew something. He knew that we're all weary. He knew that we're all heavy laden. We all carry a lot of stuff with us. And resting is so important as an action of a disciple. Do you know, there are a, you, you talk to any good athletic trainer, you talk to any experienced athlete, 
You talk to any great military leader, they will tell you that great action demands great rest. You need to be prepared for what God is doing. You need to recover. You need to recuperate. Sometimes it's short rest. When you're on the battlefield, you may get, as you used to call it, 40 winks. You might get 15 winks. It might be a power nap. It might be something else, you know. Sometimes the refreshment is a brief period, but you got to have that rest. You got to have that refreshment. Great actions require great rest. And that's not just true about our physical lives. It's just as true about our spiritual lives. I mean, isn't it? Life is full of responsibilities. My goodness. Especially as we mature, not just in age physically, but as we mature as Christians, growing, maturing in life, we're all taking on more responsibilities. And for most of us, especially in your workplace, but also in our family lives. More responsibilities often translates to greater pressure. We feel what's going to happen if we don't fulfill those responsibilities. As we are taking actions with our jobs and our families and our faith and our community, and so to maintain our health, our sanity, our love, our energy, that requires rest. But the rest that Jesus is talking about here is not the rest of religion. A relationship with Jesus means, how does he put it? You will find rest for your soul. You see, he's not, he's not talking about the kind of rest here where I'm going to take a four-day vacation and lounge out at Ocean City. That's restful, I'll grant you. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the rest of my soul, not the, oh, I just need to sleep until noon and recover a bit. It's more than that. He's talking about the peace and joy that fills my life, even in difficult circumstances, because I am walking with Jesus. That's the kind of rest for our soul that He is talking about. Resting as we learn from Him, list, learn, uh, resting as we walk with Him, resting as we live for Him and as we grow in Him. Because we got to be honest here, folks. We're, we're sitting in church this morning, church building, right? What we know about religion is this. Religion flat wears people out. Why is that? Because religion is always works-based. You have to keep on doing and doing and doing. And that was why, as I thought about the actions of a disciple, I want to clearly communicate with you today, one of the things you got to do is rest. Not about your doing and doing and doing so you can earn something. Follow these rules. Do these things. Have these quiet times. Give this money. Avoid these movies. Avoid that kind of music. You will, you will be righteous. You will be… No. Oftentimes what happens is we begin to think that we're better than some other people. We get self-righteous. Listen, can I just tell you something? You'll never be better than those people. We are who we are. We are all God's creatures. We are all people. All we got going for us is Jesus. That's not to your credit. That's to his. Okay? When we're living by religion, it's never enough. You never get there. Religion is just humankind trying to find fulfillment. 
Oh, sure, you can find moments of progress where you clean up good, where you act a little better, you learn something. It's kind of like the old story of Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill, right? You make a little progress, you make a little progress, and next thing you know, here it comes back downhill, rolls you over flat. You pick up, dust yourself off, you try it again, push the rock back up the hill. That's what religion is. You think, hey, I'm progressing. Hey, I'm getting somewhere. And then the whole thing comes crashing down on you. That's what religion does for you. It wearies you. It fatigues you. That's why Jesus said, come and find rest for your soul. And I'm, folks, I'm convinced that this is why religious people, you often hear people, oh, I don't want to go down to that church, that's a bunch of sourpusses. And we always think, how do you have people gathered in church that are a bunch of sourpusses? Here's how religion has worn them out like a cheap rug. There is just nothing left. They are threadbare and empty. They are killjoys. They aren't happy. They don't know anything about rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. Why? Because they're competing with those people. I want to feel better about myself, so I'm competing. I'm more righteous than I've got my religious deeds. When your righteousness is found in Christ, that's gone. But if you don't have that, your righteousness is only found in yourself. And so your standard is yourself. And because your standard is yourself, you're always comparing yourself to others that you hope you are better than and trying to feel better. And let me tell you, that's a dead-end street. It will wear you out. That's some of you in this room today. Well, I'm not as good as I could be, but I'm better than… <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice. Love, be glad that God has sent His Son to die in your place. His Son has said, come, follow me, find new life in me, and find rest in me. Give up the religion that wears you out. All right, let's go back to the passage for a second, Matthew 11, verses 29 and 30. This is great stuff, but you got to have a little little study behind you. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so I'm telling you today that the third action of a disciple is to receive the yoke of Jesus to receive the yoke of Jesus. You see, when we become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we can walk and we can work and we can rest at the same time because we are linked to Jesus. We take up His yoke and we walk beside Him as we do His work. Now, to understand this well, we got to go back and look at this verse and understand some of the context behind it. Some of you have heard this before. Some of you know this. But just this week, a young lady who did not know expressed a desire to know, and it was shared with her. And in that same spirit, I share with you. Farmers in the ancient Middle East would take pairs of oxen and yoke them together for maximum effectiveness. It's it's, it's not just easier because somebody's sharing the load, but that, that sense of working as a team 
empowers even working animals. You can tell if you've ever worked with animals for a long that that helps so much. And so the standard practice in the ancient Near East was to take a younger ox and pair him with a more experienced ox so that it might learn from that ox. The older animal would give the example to the one beside him how to pull the plow, how to relate to the yoke. He was used to it. He knew how things were going to go, right? The tugs and the guidance of the farmer, the experienced ox knew how to, re- how to deal with that, how to respond to that. They would be used to pacing the day so they could work the full day, getting the job done. Often a younger, inexperienced ox would, would start off walking, then they want to go off on their own. They start tug over. No, the yoke is there to keep them paired. Sometimes might start slowing down. Nope. The yoke is there to keep them moving, not too fast, not too slow, not lagging, not rushing. We don't want people to end up with a sore neck. We want the oxen to pull together. Now, that's the image when Jesus is inviting us not just to follow Him, but to do so by sharing His yoke and learning from Him. You see, He's the master. He's the discipler. He's the experienced one. He's the master. And the Bible says that the learner, the student's never above the teacher. The disciple's never above the master, never above the experienced one. And He says, come take my yoke. Don't do it by yourself, but with me, learning from me, walking with me. Now, this brings a surprise because when we come to Christ and take on His yoke, a surprising thing happens. The oppressive yoke now becomes easy. The heavy burden is lightened. Why am I saying that? What I'm t- Here's what I'm trying to say to you, friends. If the Christian life seems heavy to you, you have the wrong definition and the wrong experience of what the Christian life is to be. If you walk around thinking, it's just so hard being a Christian. It's a bummer. It's a burden. How did I get dragged into this? Whatever. Then you have missed Jesus, and you are hooked to the wrong yoke. That should be a wake-up question and call for all of us. Because here's what Jesus wants us to understand about really gospel living, good news living. Gospel living is not the absence of burdens. It is not the absence of trials or traumas or tribulations. But the difference between gospel living and religious living is that the gospel living guarantees the good news is I am now yoked with Jesus Christ who bears those burdens with me and for me. It's what David meant, right? And when he spoke in Psalm 23, he said, I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. That's where the verse stopped. No. Remember, there's no verses in the original Bible. What's the next phrase? for thou art with me. This is the promise of God, that God is with us. 
Jesus wants us to understand that. Now listen, David did not deny, what did he say? Even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm not going to fear any evil because you are with me. That there are difficulties. The difference for the believer and the one who's not a believer is that we have that someone special to go through the valleys with us, the eternal one. He even goes on, he says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What is it? Because as he goes through those valleys and those difficulties with us, he's there to protect us. He's there to provide for us. He's there to guide us. Folks, this is a revelation that is different from religion. Jesus is saying, learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn from me. Now, it's interesting because the word learn in Greek is essentially the word that means to be discipled by. Jesus is inviting you and me to be discipled. Oh, I think we said that early on. He said, come, follow me. Come, find rest for your soul. Come, take my yoke and learn of me. And the burden will be easy light. You see, now, somebody said, well, pastor, I don't know. I've, I've heard you talk before about the, the challenges and the battle. We're in. Yes, we're in a battle. Yes, we're in a spiritual battle. The way of the world is at war with the ways of God. That, that's just the way it is. But listen, brothers and sisters, can I have everybody's attention? <laughs> we're supposed to be in, at war against the powers of darkness, not with each other. Please, (laughs) pretty please, pretty please with sugar on top. Let's fight the right fight. We are yoked with Jesus and we help bear one another's burdens. So listen, if the load I'm trying to carry is feeling too heavy, if the load I'm trying to carry feels too burdensome, What does that mean? What should that tell me? It means I'm either pushing too fast or I'm dragging too slow, but I'm not keeping pace and walking alongside Jesus, which is my calling to walk beside Jesus. And if we're pulling against what he's trying to do, that's a problem. And I don't know about you because I can only bear witness for sure about myself. And I'm not, I'm not proud to say this. I can only say I, I couldn't get anybody else to, to bear their soul this morning. Um, uh, here's what I can tell you. Far too many times I have tried to run ahead of where God knew I was prepared to be. He knew I, I wasn't ready yet. I'm running to get there. He's uh, uh, not you. You're not ready for that place yet. Other times when he was saying, let's go, let's go, and I'm kind of lagging. I'm not ready to go there yet. I'm not ready to go there yet. I can only bear witness about myself. He wanted me to go there in faith, but I was lagging behind. Have you ever been there? Ever been there? God says, let's go. And you reply, sure, just not today. Or I like this one. I've heard this one expressed in a lot of different ways in churches over the years, but sure, God, somebody should be obedient and do that thing that you want done. Lord, just not me. 
um, despite what the army tells you, the greatest oxymoron in the English language is not naval intelligence or, or vice versa. That's not it. You know what the greatest oxymoron in the English language is? It's when a Christian says, no, Lord. Two words do not go together. You don't say no to the one who is the boss. The boss sets the tone. The Lord gives the instructions. It is not an option for a disciple of Jesus to say no when Jesus says, come this way. The only appropriate response, yes, Lord. Or to put it the way one young man put it in the mind, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Or how about this one? Not my will, but thine be done. Those are all ways of saying, yes, Lord, I take the yoke of Jesus. One last quick thing from this picture in verse 40, where he says, my yoke is easy. The word for easy in Greek is a very picturesque word. It's, it's, it's a very illustrative word. It means custom-made, tailor-made, custom-built, just for you. So, you got to understand the setting. When you built a yoke for oxen, if you just use a one-size-fits-all, right, we know what happens with that. One-size-fits-all, you go to the store, <laughs> we'll discover. It, it fits one better than it fits another. And so, when uh, uh, the greatest investment you have is in these animals, these big oxen that you're going to have for years and years, one of the investments you do, it's kind of like changing the oil in your car now. One of the things you did then was have a custom yoke built. You had a carpenter build a yoke. He would come out and measure the neck of the oxen. He would measure the shoulders. He would make sure he got it right. He would not follow a one-size-fits-all, but he would make it where it wouldn't be too loose, where it would rub, or too tight, where it would choke, but where the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Now, I believe I heard somewhere that Jesus knew a little bit about carpentry. So I think when he used this illustration, he knew exactly what he was referring to. And here's what he's saying to you and me today, I believe. I know you intimately. I know what you need. You can trust me. Whatever it is you're going to go through, I want you to know I'm going to be there for you. And our yoke is custom made. I'm going to walk with you through everything. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the promise of God. Last thing. The final action of a disciple I want to mention today is reflecting the character of Christ. It's so subtle here. Jesus says, learn of me where I am gentle and humble of heart. Boy, I want you to know I read this passage with great conviction this week. This is a place where a lot of us still need to grow. It did remind me of what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He was the Son of God, but not so high and mighty that he did not suffer for us. He was gentle and humble of heart. 
Peter says it in his epistle. Jesus said it in Matthew 11. If you are burdened by life, if you are overwhelmed, whether it be by religion or the common problems of life, Jesus says, look to me. Come to me. Take up my yoke. Walk with me. Learn of me. Not just what Jesus does, but who he is. What is his character? And again, I'll go back to the beginning. This is why we did not set out a list of religious activities that disciples do. But rather what I've tried to do is use this passage to point out another way of looking at the discipleship paths that God uses in our lives. The discipleship process as it's described by Jesus and how the resulting life changes come about in disciples. Actions which are shaped and influenced and determined by the character of Jesus. So listen, being a disciple means to be like Jesus, and then that determines what we do as disciples to do what Jesus would do. So concluding, how does one move from the weariness and exhaustion of life and religion to the joy and peace of an authentic discipleship journey with Jesus. Just remember the four verbs from this passage. Come to me. Find rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You do those things, we get to the bottom line of discipleship. You see, the actions of a disciple, really pretty simple. Jesus trains you, me, to be his disciple so that we can help disciple others who come to him too. The reward and the joy of helping each other along the discipleship pathways. Let's pray. God, I want to lift up this morning especially everyone in this room who is feeling a need for some rest, everyone who's feeling weary, who's heavy laden. God, I I pray that this word from your mouth, come to me, find rest for your souls, would be an encouragement to them this day and in the days ahead, that there would be a releasing of some activity that is religious in nature only and not really connected to that relationship with you, and they would find that rest in you. That would be my prayer, God. And I pray for all of us that we just get better at coming and finding and taking up and learning from you as we become more and more disciples of Jesus, in whose name we pray with grateful hearts. Amen. Amen.